the first guy that I actually got into on my own was Elton John. And I saw him for the first time in July of 1976. So you got to imagine bicentennial year. He's playing at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, which is the closest big indoor arena to Washington, D.C. So he comes out, you know, and, and only he can in like an Elton John type Uncle Sam outfit. And I was literally 12 years old. I was a month away from being 13. And I'm there and it's just like, you know, you're walking around going, God, what does that smell? And then, of course, years later, you're <laughs> yeah. kind of, everybody's smoking pot. Yeah. And we're literally, it's me and another guy and we're literally 10 feet from the stage. It was, you know, the floor was wide open. You could stand on the floor and we were small enough and young enough and we didn't care. So we're up close to the stage and it was just wild. everyone and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and uh, today we are getting off the Bruce train and we're getting on a pirate ship, maybe? Uh, or, But I, we are going to talk a little Bruce as well. Uh, Jack Hyland is joining me this morning. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you much for having me. I am so thrilled. Uh, we, uh, you reminded me that you had posted something on Twitter about Jimmy Buffett, and I reached out because I'm a big Buffett fan too. I don't think as big as you are, but I am certainly um, have gone through my phases of listening to Jimmy. And I said, "Hey, would you want to talk on the show?" And you said, "Absolutely." So welcome, and I'm so glad that we're starting off the spring talking a little music. Absolutely, let's do it. So uh, let's start out. Just tell us a little about yourself. Let my audience know a little about you. Well, I'm I'm 57 years old. Um, I'm married with a child. I somehow he turns 25 years old next. Uh, or this coming May. Um, I mine lived... turns thirty. Mine turned thirty-one Ooh. in February, and I go, "How the hell did my little boy become this grown-up?" <laughs> it is unbelievable how they get old and we stay the same. Um, I've lived in the on the East Coast most of my life, uh, with the exception of a very brief time in the late uh, in nineteen ninety-nine. My wife got into graduate school in Southern California, so we were out there then. Um, but I've either lived in Fredericksburg, Virginia, where I am now, or Charleston, South Carolina, or White Plains, New York, and for a very brief time in Africa, which is a whole different story. And my wife is currently in Africa now for work. Um, I used to own a bar, which kind of goes hand in hand with the whole Jimmy Buffett thing. Um, but we sold it last year because we thought we'd be spending most of our time in Africa and the whole COVID thing put an end to all of that. Um, but my wife went back to Africa last month, and she is still there, and I'm waiting to renew my visa, um, sorry, my passport, um, and then I'll be heading back there with her in Angola, uh, so, and we'll be there 
I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no. Did you sell the bar because COVID was happening or this was just a happy accident? You ended up selling it because you thought you were going to be spending a lot of time overseas. Well, it's a combination of a couple of things. One, we own the building that the bar was in with a couple of my siblings and a couple of other people. And the building had nine apartments in it. So it was a pretty big building in it. And it was about 150 years old. And it took a lot of money to keep it in shape to rent. And some of the owners wanted to sell it. My wife and I did not. Um, but we just couldn't work out a deal to keep it ourselves. And we thought after so many years of owning the building and paying, basically paying rent to ourselves uh, with the bar, we didn't want to go to paying rent to somebody else. We didn't know what a new landlord would be like. So we just thought, you know what, if we're going to be in Africa, let's just get rid of everything. So we did. And that's kind of where we are now. So what is in Africa? You mentioned your job. Uh, um, actually, my wife's job. She works for an energy company and they've sent her to Angola about three years ago. And she's been there off and on um, since. And Angola is on yeah. the west coast of uh, Africa, um, kind of lower, um, lower west coast. Um, and it is, it's eye-opening. There is poverty like you cannot imagine. Um, it's, it's just really, really eye-opening. I, I can only imagine. And um, it is... Uh, We'll have to spend a few minutes talking about that because I can only imagine. Uh, I I was in like the sixth or seventh grade by, when my dad was stationed in Germany with mm -hmm. the military. Yeah, and I've spent a total of like five weeks in Manila working for a job. Okay, I've never been you know like full time for that. So um, I guess there's a lot of things that are beautiful about it. And then a lot of things that must be frustrating. It's really strange because uh, my wife calls it a golden jail cell because they pay good money to be there, but there's nothing you can really do. Um, you know, you can't walk down the streets because the minute they see you, um, they see a white person, they're just like, oh, you must be a rich oil person. And you're just always a target. And as a friend of mine pointed out, um, Welcome to being black in America. And I thought, wow, never really thought about it like that until I was there. And, um, you know, we do have a, a bunch of friends that we met, and most of them are from Britain. Um, there's a handful of Americans, handful of um, people from uh, India. Um, so we've got, you know, and, and the, they call them these expats. They're a, they're a different breed. You know, they know they're not afraid of a little adventure, obviously, or they wouldn't be there. Um, they you know, you have a handful of people to pick and choose from to hang out with. And fortunately, the crew that we were with were a lot of fun to hang out with. But boy, those Brits can drink. And I left um, Angola last March 11th. And I made a joke to these people. I was like, I got to go back to the States just to sober up. And with the exception of June 13th, which is my wedding anniversary, I had three beers that night. I haven't had a drink since then. And my wife texted me last week. She went out with a couple of the Brits last week and, and she said, oh my God, they were drinking for like 10 hours. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wasn't kidding when I said I have to go home and sober up. So it's a good crowd. I mean, it's, there's worse places to be and it's fun, but it's, it's, you know, you got to keep your eyes open all the time. 
is there um yeah luckily you know when i was at manila it you know it i was working nights because it's day over here right and you know and i did not go anywhere that wasn't with someone in you know i i had the company had a car service that picked us up and took us there and it was yes. so and then you know i would go with lunch to someone which is like weird at two three in the morning we're going to lunch yeah um, and they would take me to different restaurants and and i enjoyed the experience but i can imagine uh i've had a couple of friends that have lived in the middle east uh one of my best friends is an sap consultant and so you know he's traveled the world helping people you know implement sap and it just depends on how much you can embrace the culture and do i i think her description is actually sounds pretty apt right it, yeah while it it there is good money and I, I assume you guys are staying in some place fairly nice but it is just a weird world isn't it it, it really is and nobody speaks english um, but you're right about the car service. I mean, you don't go anywhere without a car service and they're kind of a car service slash security. Um, I mean, they don't carry weapons as far as I know, but they are really wise about just keeping people out of situations they shouldn't be in. Um, but one of the things we have used it for is kind of a springboard to go other places. Um, while we were there, we flew one weekend to Namibia, which is one country over, but Angola, which is a country we're in, and again, we're on the very west uh, coast, is twice the size of the state of Texas. So it's a really big country. So it takes a lot to get out of the country. Sure. And we flew to Namibia one weekend, and and that was kind of fun. Um, and then one weekend, we flew to Cape Town, South Africa, which was spectacular. Um, and one of the upsides is they actually spoke English there. So you could kind of let your brain relax for a couple of days and just go, okay, I don't have to worry about trying to figure out what people are saying or how to get around. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the one thing we want to do while we're there is use it as an opportunity to jump to some other place, some other country to, you know, I've always said when people like say to me, gee whiz, you know, Africa. And I'm kind of like, well, it was never kind of on the radar, but how many chances in your life to get to go to Africa? So that's kind of the way, the way we look at it. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Where you mentioned living on the East Coast most of your time. So I always like to start at the beginning so where did you talk about growing up? Was there a lot of music in your household as you grew up? So, you know, I got a kind of a, um, a backstory. Um, Please. I was born in White Plains, New York, which is right outside of New York City. And my folks were born and raised there as well. My grandmother, my father's mother, was born in Burling, born and raised in Burlington, New Jersey, which is exit five off the Jersey Turnpike. Um, so we would go visit her, you know, once or twice a year up in White Plains, uh, with my grandparent or my grandfather and my father's siblings. But my father had an aunt who lived in Burlington her entire life. She never married. She worked for city hall in Burlington her whole life. Uh, and occasionally we would stop at her house on the way to White Plains. And this was mostly in the mid seventies and the early eighties. And I just remember even then um, Burlington is about, God, if I remember correctly, 17 or 18 miles outside of Philadelphia. But it was the most depressing, uh, rundown city that I'd ever spent any time in. And I was just like, good Lord. And so, you know, a couple of years later, when I discovered Springsteen, I felt like I had my own uh, Jersey connection in a small way. Sure. So when he was talking about, you know, the lower class and, you know, the, the hopelessness, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. Um, but in my house, my parents actually saw Buddy Holly live. My father was a big Buddy Holly guy. Wow. I know it's, it's odd. And, you know, that's one of the benefits of growing up outside of New York City in the, you know, the late 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, but after Buddy Holly died, my father just kind of, he didn't really progress with the times. I mean, my father was as conservative as you could ever imagine. I can't imagine any of the music from the sixties did anything for him. In fact, he just revolted against the long hair people. Yeah. But, um, my upbringing was not great. Um, my father was a, uh, abusive alcoholic. 
Um, so it was easier for me to just hide out in my room and read and listen to music. So I had an older brother who, um, he had music before I did, but he was into kind of like uh, Motown and R&B, um, stuff like that, which I wasn't really into. The first guy that I actually got into on my own was Elton John. And I saw him for the first time in July of 1976. So you got to imagine bicentennial year. Um, he's playing at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, which is the closest big indoor arena to Washington, D.C. So he comes out, um, you know, and, and only he can in like an Elton John type Uncle Sam outfit. And I was literally 12 years old. I was a month away from being 13. And I'm there and it's just like, you know, you're walking around going, God, what does that smell? And then, of course, years later, you're <laughs> kind of, everybody's smoking pot. Yeah. And we're literally, it's me and another guy and we're literally 10 feet from the stage. It was, you know, the floor was wide open. You could stand on the floor and we were small enough and young enough and we didn't care. So we're up close to the stage and it was just wild. And um, so I, I, I was in El John a lot. And then it kind of shifted to Billy Joel. Um, but um, I specifically remember sitting at home one day and I was listening to a radio station out of Washington, D.C. And I don't remember what radio station it was. And I was by myself and I just heard a song come on. And it was um, Promised Land. Mm -hmm. And I just remember listening to it going, oh, my God, I am not alone. Somebody else knows what I'm going through. And, you know, of course, back then, you're, you're kind of like, who was that? Who was this guy? What, right. You know? And... You know, you find out it's it's Bruce Springsteen, and this was right after Darkness came out. And at the time, my uncle, who this is a whole other story as well, he played in the NFL for 10 years. So he owned a bar outside of New York City in White Plains, mm -hmm. and he had a jukebox. And somehow we used to end up getting a bunch of the singles off the jukebox. And we had somehow I grabbed Born to Run the single and the flip side of it was uh, meeting across the river. And I'll never forget like Columbia records there for some reason, their LPs had the um, red record label, but the 45s were orange, the label. And I just remember wearing born to run out on the single, you know, well before I had money to buy the album. Yeah. Um, and then whenever I had a chance, I bought born to run which to me is pretty close to the perfect album from the packaging. I mean, the album cover is as beautiful as anything you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. The, the words inside it, the, the, the music, uh, it, it's just close to the perfect album. And um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm sure that many of my audience are nodding their head. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, if there's anything lacking, and this is kind of a quibble to me, it's just that it's kind of one song short of being perfect. Um, but other than that, it's just flawless. Yeah. And, you know, then I, I got to that. And then I, you know, I got into um, 
darkness of course when that came out and then um um well, yeah, it was a couple years before the river came out but i was when i was in high school you know the big stuff was you know the stuff from like satellite fever in greece yeah. and it was never cool to like that stuff but i always loved it i just you know i was just always been a big fan of good pop music yeah so you're a few years younger than i am i'm 62 Okay. I graduated high school in 77. So you would have graduated like in 81, 82. I graduated in 81. I had yeah. a brother who graduated in 79 and another brother who graduated in 80. Right. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, and I, I think when you and I had talked uh, on via Twitter, I had sent you, you know, I had, I sent you the link to the episode where I talked to David Fetter, who's a huge BG fan right. that we shared. So yeah, I, you know, um, our era, you know, AM radio was everything and you yeah. just listened and, you know, um, I'm laughing because my first eight track I bought with my own money was Elton John's greatest hits. Well, there you go. You know, and, um, and, you know, when I, I remember seeing Billy Joe on Saturday night live, and yep. uh, not knowing, you know, the hit was you're always, you know, uh, you're always a woman to me, right? Yep. That was what was on the radio, but yep. he had played um, Only the Good Die Young, I believe, you know, and yep. I was like, what is this great song? So, yeah, yeah um, buying every Billy Joe album I could find as they come. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I have that, you know, you and I have a very similar uh, taste except i never discovered bruce that oh, really? early I, it wasn't till the river and uh and i started dating linda who i'm you know been married to for 35 years okay. and she had a good friend named lisa who came back from the east coast and was talking about this guy named bruce springsteen and so i remember you know buying the river and liking it. And then when Born in the USA went out, like, well, everyone knew Bruce Springsteen then. Right. Yeah. So right. you were a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, yeah, I was fortunate. And it might have been just because, you know, I'm a basically a state and a half away from New Jersey. Yes. Um, and also just the way I grew up. I mean, I, although my father had a great job, he was middle class. I yeah. never wanted for anything, but my home life was not pleasant. So yeah. I knew what he was singing about. Um, and then along with Bruce, but after Bruce, um, I discovered Bob Dylan, who for 40 years has been my favorite musician. And um, he pretty much changed everything for me. So I've always kind of gravitated toward the singer songwriters, um, you know, the Randy Newman's, the, um, the Billy Joel's, the, the guys who write about, um, and you can throw Buffett in there as well. They write yeah. about what they know. Um, and I just had a lot more in common with Bruce. But um, it's funny. I got older and I thought, you know, I kind of dropped out of the pop music scene after 1992. Like the last album I really loved was um, R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People. And then kind of Kurt Cobain took over the world and I just thought god what a dreary son of a gun and i just i never liked him i still don't like him it's like he invented you know i'm the first teenager whose life sucks i'm like well no 
you're not the first guy to sing about that. I said, Bruce was singing that, about that years ago, but to me, the difference is with Bruce, there's always a little bit of hope that you might just make it out. And that's probably why I liked him so much. Yeah. Um, so I want to get to, cause one of the things you had shared about is you're also a huge Buffett fan. Yeah. Um, but, uh, when I always preface this question, Jack, with the premise, I do not believe the amount of times you've seen any artist, but specifically Bruce is a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are, because that right. all depends on your age and what, you know, where you're located, your economic sure. situation. But, uh, have you seen Bruce perform live and do you keep count of how many times? I have seen him. Um, I was actually trying to count it up last night. Yes. And I can't remember if it's eight times or nine. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, there's one I just can't remember, but I'm pretty sure it's nine. Okay. The first time I saw him was in 1984. I wanted to see him for the river tour, but I just couldn't get tickets. So yeah. in 1984, he was playing the Capitol Center. My older brother and I and another guy, a friend of ours, it was a Sunday afternoon, and we're, we're at another friend's house, and we're sitting around drinking and carrying on, as you do when you're barely 21 years old. And I just said, look, Springsteen's playing up at the Capitol Center tonight. Let's go. So we drive up there. We don't have any tickets. And somehow in the parking lot, we find three tickets together, $35 a piece. But okay, pretty much a bargain. Bargain then, bargain today. Yeah. And Bruce... In 1984, I don't think people understand how big he was. He, in 1984, like the four biggest pop stars in the world were Springsteen, Prince, Michael Jackson, and Madonna. Yes. It was the whole MTV thing. Just There was this explosion of pop culture. And of those four... Bruce was the only one who didn't have to go or just chose not to go anywhere with, the, you know, a 50 person strong entourage of security, which is kind of like, look at me. I have bodyguards, but don't come near me. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just not Bruce. And of those four, Bruce is the only one who you could literally think you could walk into a bar and see him at the end of the bar and pull up a bar stool next to him and just have a normal conversation with him. And then I think about all these years later, where they are. You know, obviously Michael Jackson's dead. Prince is dead. Madonna's, who knows what the hell Madonna's doing. Yeah. And Bruce is still just the guy you could pull up next to in a bar stool. Um, and it's always been, to me, he's one of those rare pop stars who has achieved the level of fame he has, but he's just a normal guy. Um you know, as we noticed, you know, learned a couple of weeks ago when he had that ridiculous DUI charge, you know, he pulled yeah. over to the side of the road to have a shot of tequila with fans of his. And that's just who does that. Yeah. And that's part of his appeal as well. So anyway, to get back to your story, um, I happened to see him at the Capitol Center, Capitol Center in 84. And at the time... You know, the worst albums he had to pick from were Greetings and The Wild, The Innocent, which are great albums. So 
there was just, you know, the proverbial never a dull moment in that concert. I mean, he did a couple of things from Nebraska, but he just kept, you know, you're just coming out with song after song. And then you're like, oh, my God, he's run out of songs. Then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he does Rosalita. And you're like, oh, my God, how did I forget about this one? And it's just incredible. And, you know, you know it, one of the most memorable nights of my life. You know, what I find that is a, you're saying this really well. The idea that and I'm going to ask you in a little bit, you know, about songs you may be chasing both for Jimmy and Bruce. But the idea that he he could do he does a three hour show and that you could walk away going, well, I didn't get to hear blank, blank, blank or blank. Right. right? Like right. Um, I, I've told this story so many times. So regular listeners, I apologize, but I was at the Houston show um, during the High Hopes tour. And at the very end of the show, it was a great show, a lot of little gems. And this lady was very drunk going, is it over? I'm like, yeah, it's over. But he didn't play Born in the USA. I'm like, well, he doesn't always play Born in the USA. Right. But it's his biggest hit. Oh, my uh, God. You know, and, and uh, so then the joke I make every time in the future when he played Born in the USA, I would tweet, and somewhere there's a drunk lady in Houston very <laughs> happy. Uh, my wife gets really mad whenever he does the Detroit medley. She's like, I didn't come here to hear him sing this. I came here to sing, hear him sing his own stuff. And I kind of agree with her. It's like, wow, that's 12 minutes of, that's four songs of his own he could be doing. So, um, but you know, you take what you get. Yeah. And that's uh, my, my son always is, you know, when he went to his first show, uh, when Bruce was playing in Oklahoma city, we had drove up there and, he said, shout, is this an eighth grade dance? Right, like, don't right, get me right, wrong. Right. They, that It was an amazing song. And he says, whatever they do is cool, but shout, why, you know? And I, I do think that, and of course, Bruce, I'm sure he needs my advice, right? Right. You, you wonder if sometimes you wouldn't do, um, you know, if you want to close with an oldies, do the rotate of the treat Detroit multi shout, you know, um, some of the other things that he's done with this, uh, you know, about to kind of change it up. But, you know, um, as I've said many times and a guest says, you know, they're the best bar band in the world. And in oh a God, lot yeah. of ways, that's what they still think they are. Sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure, and they got to do what they're interested in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, um, you know, I have one of my best friends is always like, does he have to do Born in the Run every show? Like, couldn't we, you know, that's it. We could get a different song. And I'm like, well, but every show is someone's first show. Correct. And if you go to see Bruce and you don't get to hear Born to Run, aren't you a little bit unhappy? Right. And, you know, right. so, yeah. Um, so, what originally led to this is you mentioned about seeing Buffett a multitude of times. Yep. So talk to me a little bit. Like I certainly remember when I found out that the Margarita guy was the come Monday guy. Right. I was a lot more impressed. I mean, I right. liked Margaritaville, right. but I loved come Monday. Just, right. it was a song that I just adore. 
Right. And um, and I Coconut Telegraph was the first um, eight track of his that I bought and I adored. I adored yeah. every song on Coconut Telegraph. Yep. You know, The Weather Is Here, I Wish You Were Beautiful is yep. one of my favorite songs that, um, you know, and I've never seen Jimmy live. It just never worked out. Wow. He's, he's here every summer in Dallas. Sure. And we just never make time to go see him. But talk to me about how did you discover Jimmy and why seeing him live became a passion of yours? So in 1979, my older brother went off to college and he went to a small college in Maryland called Mount St. Mary's. And one weekend that fall, me and a couple of my high school buddies drove up there to spend a weekend with him, which meant basically just drinking and carrying on. And so we get there on a Friday night and the next morning we're in his dorm and there's a bunch of guys in the hallway there and they're all painting the hallway. They're painting the walls and painting the ceilings and, you know, just spiffing up the place. And we're thinking, okay, what's going on here? And they're all wearing t-shirts and long ties. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, so this is what college is like. I mean, at the time I'm a sophomore in high school, but they're all listening to Jimmy Buffett. And I didn't know anything about Buffett. I mean, I'm sure I'd heard of Margaritaville. Uh Um, But, you know, I just got home and I probably bought Changes in Latitude. Sure. And then the following summer, uh, Buffett was playing Meriwether Post Pavilion, which is an indoor kind of, as the name says, a pavilion, so it's got an indoor amphitheater kind of thing, and then there's got a big lawn that probably holds sure. 10,000 people. Absolutely. So that's about an hour and a half north of here. So me and my older brother and one of his college roommates, whose name was John, but for whatever reason, he he's always been Juan. Okay. So, and to this day, he's Juan, and I keep in touch with him still. Uh, we go to the show, and we're in, I don't want to say like, the 12th row, which the only reason I'm saying this is because back then that's how easy it was to get tickets to see Buffett. Yeah, exactly. I understand. And Margaritaville was like the fourth song in the set list. It wasn't the big deal that it became. And it was almost more of a, you know, Buffett was still kind of the more of a country musician than the, you know, the Caribbean pop star that he became. Right. Um, But you're right. It was, you know, come Monday, uh, a pirate looks at 40, um, 10 cup chalice, all that great stuff that you're, you never were going to hear on the radio. Um, and as you said about coconut telegraph, that was the first album that came out after I became a fan. In fact, I remember listening to, um, before I bought it, one of the local DC radio stations used to play albums at 11 o'clock at night. And I remember recording it, but not listening to it that night. And then at some point later on, I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, man, Buffett's getting old. There's like no party songs on there. And then I, you know, you get older and you're like, wait, what is Coconut Telegraph? What is the weather is here? And like you, I just think it was just such a great record. Um, And then... I remember, so anyway, we used to go to Meriwether Post 
every year. And sometimes Buffett would play there two nights in a row. And some nights he would play there three nights in a row. So we would just go up there and right outside the amphitheater was a place called the Columbia Inn. We would stay at the Columbia Inn and then there was kind of a little, kind of a little strip shopping center where they had a couple of bars. And after the show, a lot of the guys in the bar in the, uh, would go to these bars. And in fact, one night we spent a lot of time with some of the band members in the bar. And um, I was in an elevator uh, in the hotel and Buffett actually walked into the elevator. So for about six floors, me and a buddy of mine had Jimmy Buffett all to ourself. Um, but so I remember thinking, God, I hope Buffett just stays on the road, you know, so I can see him year after year after year. And in, looking back on it, it's funny that he was one of the few guys who stayed on the road year after year after year. Yeah. So I saw him every year from 1980 to 1993. I didn't see him in 93 because I was living in New York at the time and I moved back to Virginia and it just didn't work out. And then I didn't see him in 96. My wife and I actually moved to Key West. She was six months pregnant. Um, not our best move, by the way. So we moved to Key West and we're there for a little while. Our son is born in Key West and my wife just was like, no, nah, I got to get out of here. Um, although she loves Key West, she's not the kind of person to kick her feet up and watch the world go by. Right. So we left Key West and moved to Charleston, South Carolina, where she had gone to college and we stayed there for three years. And it just so happened at that time, Buffett actually referred to Key, uh, Charleston as kind of like his minor league uh, area. So he would go there with his band and they would, you know, do tour rehearsals and that kind of thing. My wife was working for a local, uh, television news station there. And in downtown Charleston, a Margaritaville store opened up. There wasn't a bar. It was just a store that sold like merchandise and that kind of thing. And Buffett was going to be there for the grand opening. And the people who worked with her at the news station brought her down there and on the way down there said, by the way, you're going to interview Jimmy Buffett. Now my wow. wife, yeah, she just worked behind the scenes, but they knew she was such a big Buffett fan that they let her interview him. Uh -huh. uh, and we had that somewhere on tape somewhere. I have no idea where it is. Um, but so we saw him a bunch in Charleston. Um, one of the places when I was living in New York, he used to play Jones Beach, which is uh -huh. on Long Island. And this, the stage is literally in the water. So it was just a perfect place to see Buffett. And one of the upsides of it was you could guarantee that he would always play the weathers here because the stage is right in Long Island Sound. Yeah. So it worked out well. But um, going back, um, just listen to Buffett. There was a couple of things about him that struck me when he would talk about literature. Mm -hmm. He would just mention a book or an author. And I would go just, I'm going to go get that book. And of course, this is, you know, 1980s, pre-internet. You're not looking up anybody online. You're going to a bookstore and you're seeing, uh, one in particular was um, in the song Incommunicado off of Coconut Telegraph. He talks yeah. about Travis McGee. I'm in a bookstore and I see a book that just says a Travis McGee novel. And I'm like, I don't know who Travis McGee is or what he is. But I get the book. 
And I read it and I'm like, oh my God. And within, I don't know, six months I had read all 20, whatever, two Travis McGee novels. Yeah. Um, or Buffett would talk about Pat Conroy or obviously Key West. Um, yeah. And that was always really attractive to me. Um, and one of the things I liked about him was he, he paid attention to old people. He learned a lot from old people. You know, when you're 22 years old, like me anyway, you know, you just see an old person, you're like, ah, what do they know? They're old and blah, blah, blah. And, but he, yeah. he learned a lot. And that kind of got me to open up my eyes and ears to old people. I mean, obviously they have a lot of experience. They have a lot of knowledge. And I always appreciated the fact that even at a young age, Buffett was aware enough of that, that he learned. And, you know, I've never, I've given up trying to convince people that Buffett is more than Margaritaville. I don't care anymore if they, they like him or don't, but yeah. obviously he's much more than Margaritaville. Yeah. Um, I, I, couple of stories. Um, I will go back and forth on E Street Radio and, um, you know, I mostly have it on the Springsteen E Street channel, but I also will turn it over to the Buffett channel sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, they have their version of Be the Boss where right. you pick, you know, five songs. And my buddy Sam and I have often talked and, and I'm not judging anyone who does this, but we go, okay, they, they go, all right, Jack, you can pick five songs of Bruce Springsteen's that you're going to, you know, this is for an E Street Channel audience. You know, they're huge Bruce Springsteen fans. I'm not missing, I'm not taking a slot and putting in Thunder Road. Right. Because we all adore Thunder Road. Right. right? Uh, unless there's a specific reason. Like, right. um, like, I was lucky enough to do this several years ago. If I was going to do it again, I would probably do uh, No Surrender because when I had colon cancer, that was one of the songs I listened to. Sure. You know, so I, there's a personal reason. So I'm not judging. Right. But that's the thought. And so we're listening to this and I'm like, you know, um, you got to imagine no one would pick Margaritaville if they're doing their five song set that you would want Jimmy to, you know, to right. do. And the person picked Margaritaville. Oof. And I was like, what? Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Just that whole reason, right? Like, yeah. What do you do? So, um, have you counted up how many times you've seen them because it was every year? I've tried to count and I got well into over a hundred, but then I'd go back and go, wait, that can't be possible. But then I just kept counting and going, yeah, I, I think it actually is. And, um, you know, I've seen him everywhere. I, I've seen him in Florida. I've seen him in South Carolina. I've seen him in Maryland. I've seen him in Virginia. I've seen him in New York. I've seen him in Paris. Oh, that um, must have been interesting. Well, it was, it, it just sounds like, my wife and I, she was in London for work and I was with her in London and a friend of mine um, had four tickets to see Buffett in Paris. 
And he was going to go with his wife and another couple. And at some point, the other couple backed out. They couldn't make it. And he asked us if we wanted to go. And so we were like, well, we're already going to be in London. Why don't we just take the channel over and we'll go? So that's what we did. And we spent about, my wife and I spent about 48 hours in Paris. And we were drunk for about 46 of them. Yes. And so I remember the night of the show, we were going to go have a couple beers or drinks before the show. And we were walking into this bar and walking out was a couple who you could tell was American. You could tell they were parrot heads. I'm not a big fan of parrot heads, by the way, but that's a whole different story. And you could tell they were there for the Buffett concert. And as they were walking out, the, there was a girl who probably thought the same of us. She just looked and she said, we're leaving. This bar is charging $6 a beer. And my friend, whose name was Pete Rose, but not that Pete Rose. Yes. Without even breaking stride, he just said, you just paid $2,000 to get here and you're worried about a $6 beer. So we walked in. <laughs> and, yeah. So we had a bunch of beers and uh, it was in, the show was in a small theater. Um, and I'll never forget my friend Pete, who got the four tickets, the whole show, he was so angry because he thought we had front row seats. We actually had like back row, the very last row seats. So he's just barking up a storm the whole time. And my wife and Pete's wife are like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I got this. I was like, Pete, we're in Paris. We're at a Buffett concert. We couldn't be any more drunk. What is the problem? <laughs> and he just said, all right, just let me be angry for 10 more minutes. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So I was just happy that I could go out in the lobby and order two shots of Jameson's in a different language. So, yeah. I mean, and, you know, I look back and I think about that show. And it's actually the last time my wife and I have seen Buffett. Um, after a while, she was kind of like, you know, it's the same show every time. I was going to ask that question. Does he, you know, because one of the beautiful things about Bruce, um, and, and with the exception of the beginning of the River Tour in 2016, right, where he was doing the yes. river in its entirety. Right. Um, you know, it's very seldom that um, I always say about 60% of the show is the same. Right. You know, the other 40% he splits up and the 60% you see um, is in a different order. Right. right. So does I was going to ask you, does Jimmy change it up a lot or. No, he doesn't. In fact, for many, many years, it was the same thing. And I'm like, how many times do you have to hear a brown eyed girl live? Mm -hmm. And so like. I, apparently recently Buffett's come out with an album that he's it's called like it's his deep cuts and I'm like if you're a Jimmy Buffett song there is no a fan rather there is no such thing as a deep cut you know everything so I would go and it would be like brown eyed girl and fins and and again like you said earlier about Bruce somebody's going to the Buffett show for the first time um, absolutely he's not playing for me the guy who's been there a hundred times um and lately, though, he seemed to have, you know, he kind of dropped the horn section that he carried with him. Um, and he got kind of back to not necessarily his roots because he doesn't have Fingers Taylor with him anymore and hasn't for many years. Um, but I, I do want to see him one more time. I don't know where or when, but I do want to see him one more time. 
Um, and you, we'll make- so Jack, you, your, your experience with Jimmy Buffett is similar to my experience with the Beach Boys. Okay. Um, and by the way, I just looked at that. It's songs you don't know by heart. Right. Jimmy Buffett. Um, right. And so anyway, I discovered the Beach Boys back in the summer of 77. I bought the CD, uh, Endless Summer, had yep. never heard them, was amazed by the harmony. Yep. And didn't get to hear them till like 1979, 1980. They came to Lafayette, Louisiana, which was about an hour and a half drive from where I lived, Lake Charles. I've been to Lafayette. Yes. Uh, And was amazed I got to hear them. Yeah. And then a couple years later, they were playing in Beaumont, Texas, which is 60 miles west of Lake Charles. We got to, and I saw them. Joan Jett opened. Oh, boy. And And then when I moved to Dallas, they were here every summer. Okay. And every summer I went. And I had a blast. Yeah. And the thing that first started making me a little unhappy is um, Brian was no longer touring with them. And I was a huge Brian Wilson fan. Oh, yeah. And then I saw them early in the summer of the same year that Cocktail came out. Oh, boy. And they did not do Kokomo. Okay. And I went... But wait a minute, this song, you knew it was going to be in the soundtrack. You knew you were, you, why wouldn't you be playing it? And then I yeah. heard later that they they called it the beer song because when they played it, that's when people went out for beers because no, sure. one, no one wanted to hear anything new. Right. Okay. And so I'd gone and I'm like, okay, uh, how many more times do I need to hear Mike live say, you don't want to hear any of those car songs, do you? Oh, oh before he does the car medley, you know? Sure. And, and absolutely, everyone's there in their beach, uh, their Hawaiian print shirts, and yep. there's beach balls flowing around, and we're in the lawn. You know, the same thing as you were talking about, right, where you had the seats that are under the pavilion, then the yep. lawn. We're bringing friends. You know, one year they toured with Chicago, which was amazing because yep. you got to hear Carl's voice doing harmony on Chicago songs. And you got to hear, you know, Chicago playing horns on some of the Beach Boy songs. But I went, I went, I don't know. I don't need to go again because I know, I know the song. I know sure. it's, gonna, it's an hour and a half set. It's all hits. There's nothing yeah. unusual. Right. Um so the same thing, right? That going, yeah. it. I'm not. I'm not disparaging the people that go and have a good time. It's just I don't need to see Mike Love and Bruce Johnston, you know, ripping through the greatest hits. Right, and that's kind of how it was for me in Buffett. I remember being at a Buffett concert and walking around, going, "Man, nobody's partying. Nobody's, you know, this is kind of boring." And then I thought, "Wait." I'm not drinking either. And, you know, you go sit through the show and you can almost predict what's happening. And one of the things, another thing I've always loved about Buffett is he is nothing but the consummate entertainer. He is not going to go on stage and talk politics. He's not going to do anything to offend his audience. 
he's going to play what he thinks his audience wants to hear. And for the most part, he does. I mean, you know, name another guy who's toured and sold out everywhere he's played literally for almost 40 years. Um, he knows what he's doing. Um, but I guess there just came a point where I was like, okay, this isn't for me anymore. Um, I did happen to see him in Manhattan um, in 1989. It was just him and Mac McAnally, who's his, you know, kind of sidekick guitar player. And that was it, just the two of them. And that was great. Um, if he could do more of that, um, then I'd be, I'd be all in. Um, but I don't see that selling out large arenas. So that's probably not going to happen. Um, so, you know, I'll just listen to the music and, uh, you know, I'm again, I'm near 60 years old. I'm not sure I need to be going to all these concerts anymore anyway, but I think I still have one more Buffett concert. I mean, we just got to figure out where it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, I told Linda, you know, I said, well, when, and I think this COVID has made all of us feel like, okay, maybe, maybe I would want to go see Mike Love and them, you know, go through that. Um, I did go to the 50th anniversary where Brian and Mike, I mean, they were Dave Marks. I mean, mm -hmm. all the Beach Boys were there. Yeah. Um, and I had a good time. It was funny though, because, uh, it worked out within a two week span. We had seen Bruce play in Louisville, Kentucky. And then we saw the beach boys here in Dallas. Okay. And it's like, what a difference. They're 10 years older than him yet. You know, they were, you, it was such a structured show. You knew right. this was the song and this was sure. the thing. And just imagine you know, once again, Bruce just does, you, you never know what you're going to get. You, you yeah. know, you're going to give him a hundred percent. He's going to give a hundred percent. And, uh, and I also can't fault, you know, Jimmy has become a brand. Oh, sure. And, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and like I said, the, the CDs are there to hear and to bring that joy. I also yeah. know, he was on 60 Minutes once, I believe, right. and in an interview, and, and I'm having to rely on memory, but he talked about that um, him and Bruce Springsteen talked about raising kids. Right. And they just, he said, to the kids, you're just the guy that makes pancakes. Sure. You know, they're, and, and I just always loved that story. The idea that, you know, him and Bruce talking about, yeah, you know, I make pancakes for the kids. I make pancakes for the kids. And, yeah. and then when you later hear Bruce tell the story that um, as a, as a rock star, right, you stay up late at night and you, you get up, you know, late in the day yeah. and Patty telling him you're missing it. You're missing it. The right. morning is when it happens. Yeah. And um, so he said, you know, he learned to make pancakes and, uh, you know, he learned to get up early uh, to be there when the kids were little, because that's when they are talking, when they're excited and everything. So I sure. think that's pretty awesome. Um, with as many times as you've seen uh, Jimmy, I'm sure there's not. I'm sure there's deep cuts, though. You still wish you'd heard him live. So either him or Bruce 
Um, are there songs you wish the next time you hear them live, you'd love to hear? Buffett does a song that I'm not sure. I, I don't think I've heard it live. Um, and the minute, the first time I heard it, I thought he wrote that song for me. And it's called Here We Are. Okay. And it probably came out, God, I don't even have a reference for it now. Um, you know, certainly within the last 15 years. Um, I don't even know what album it's on. And it's just kind of like his fans. And, and I just thought, God, he wrote that song for me. Um, and I've never heard that one live, but I would like to. Um, one of the songs from Bruce that I've never heard live, but the very first time I heard it, I remember I was in, there was a, a really quirky radio station. I think it was out of Washington, D.C., but it might have been out of Maryland called WHFS. Okay. And they just played, one minute they'd be playing just off the wall, weird stuff. But it was the very first time I heard the song Jersey Girl. Okay. And if you listen to that song, you can tell that most of the audience had never heard that song before. Him right. Before the night he did it live. And maybe because I had my own little Jersey connection when he sings cross the river to the Jersey side and the audience just erupts it to this day, no matter how many times I've heard that song, it just gives me chills. And then later on in the song, when he says down the shore, uh-huh. which is if you're from that area, you know, that's the proper way to say, you don't say I'm going to the shore. You say I'm going down the shore. And then the audience erupts again. And I'm just like, Oh my God, this is just such a fantastic song. And I think it was on the flip side of the single. I want to say cover me, although it could have been I'm on fire. It was something off of uh, born in the USA. And so I went out and bought that single and I still have it somewhere. And of course, you know, we're talking 40 years ago, so you didn't think you're going to be able to listen to it every time you want to get fired up on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. Um, I would like to have heard that one live. Um, But, you know, pretty much I've checked every other box with Bruce. All right. So I'm sure you know this, but just in case the audience is screaming at me, you know, Tom Waits wrote Jersey Girl. Correct. But it is as a Bruce song as there can be. Yes. You know, similar to, um, Bruce Johnston wrote, I write the songs, right. which is such a Barry Manilow song, right? Yes. It is, yeah, absolutely. But he wrote um, it for Brian Wilson. Yes, exactly. Or about Brian Wilson anyway. Yes. And by the um, way, as an aside, I have never seen the Beach Boys, but I saw Brian Wilson do the Lucky Old Son tour. Yes. Which might have been 2010, 8? I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, and I saw him in this tiny little arena or a theater rather in Washington, DC. And I, I thought the lucky old son album was fantastic. I Loved did that album. Yeah. And you know, it was, it was great, but it was sad because Brian Wilson would be talking between songs and you'd be like, Oh my God, it's like listening to an eight year old. 
Yes. I'm not sure how much Brian was actually doing or playing, and it didn't matter. Yeah. The band was so fabulous. And sitting there watching, you know, arguably Brian Wilson's the top three musicians of my lifetime as far yes. as talent and, and reverence. So, um, yeah, that's my Brian Wilson experience. I, I, Brian Wilson is, he's just as good as, he's better than almost anybody. And, yeah. you know, was, you got to take the good with the bad with Brian Wilson. Yeah. Um, I went, um, he played, he was touring, uh, right after he kind of after he had kind of fired Eugene Landy and kind right. of had done his own thing. Yep. Um, he toured Pet Sounds live. Okay. Which yeah, was, I didn't see that one. Yeah, a lot of people say that that's one of the first um, you know, doing your classic albums live in a row. And right. I was able to get um, one of my best friends um, I said, hey, Rick, I said, I really want to go see, you know, Brian Wilson live, but, um, you know, we don't really have the money and Linda isn't sure she wants to go. So will you go with me? And he goes, oh, I'll just get you free tickets. Because at the time he was working for um, a a company, he was, he's an attorney and his, he used, he had to do all kinds of printing at this printing company and the guy just had connections right. and he said, no one will want this. So he did, he got us like, you know, first row ticket, you know, sure. front row tickets to see Brian. Yeah. Um, and so that was amazing to see because it seemed like Brian was really engaged and want to go. Yeah. Um, I saw the, um, I, I saw him when he did the, um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank on the album where um, it was, he did a lot of duets. Uh, the. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. The, yeah. It's, it's um, anyway, it's, there's, it's a, um, it's a pun album. Uh, the, the title is an album. And so um, I'm, I'm looking no peer pressure. Yeah. Yep, I knew that yeah. I knew peer was in there somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, and I watched that and it was really good. Uh, but you do see that his voice is getting tougher. Yeah. And um, so I was, um, I was really happy. I got to see him. Yes. He's very good. By the way, in the um, zoom meeting that we're in, I sent you the link where I've only seen Jersey girl once. Uh, but it was the last time I saw Bruce, not counting Broadway. Uh, and it, it's the end. He's, he ends the show with Jersey girl cause they're in uh, New Jersey. He's playing at the Met stadium. Okay. And this is the one where the guy asked his, asked, he had a wedding proposal in the middle of it. Okay. And I sent you the link. You can watch this on, you know, YouTube. Okay. Um, and it's perfect. I mean, you know, you can imagine, you know, the song Jersey Girl and, you know, in the middle of it, Bruce goes, what, what's happening here? Yeah. And he brings him up on stage. And he, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's it's a great, you know, there's this marriage and, you know, he's singing it and then they do fireworks and you go, oh, my gosh, this was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope that let's hope that marriage lasts. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, 
Gosh, this has been great, Jack. You've had so many great stories and things to do. What have I not asked you that I should have? Uh, Gee whiz, I think, well, I don't know. I mean, it would, if you ask me one more question, we'd probably fill up another hour. So, (laughs) which I'm more than willing to come back and do this again sometime. Oh, I I would love to have that. It is really good. Um, I just didn't want to miss where you're like, oh, I forgot to tell you where Jimmy and I shared a beer. Oh, well, that, you know, again, that, you know, I don't have any beers with Jimmy Buffett's story. I have beers, I have stories with, um, one of the little bars, we owned a bar in Fredericksburg here right. um, at one time, not the one that I just sold, but another one that my older brother mm-hmm. and my dad owned. And we had Fingers Taylor play there many years ago. So I've shared a beer with Fingers Taylor. I've shared beers with Josh Leo, who used to play guitar with Jimmy Buffett uh, back in the 80s. Uh, but all those stories are for another time. They'll take way too long to get into. But uh, yeah, I got any time. All right, good. We'll make sure you do that. All right. Um time for the very question and for those who are friends of jack's you may not know the story my regular listeners do um jay armstrong is a retired honors english teacher in the philadelphia area Uh, but when he was teaching every year he would uh, take his seniors and his honors english senior class and they would take two days breaking apart Thunder Road as a poem. Uh, They look at the lyrics. They talk about the imagery Bruce uses, the themes of the song, what other other poems are similar. Something like, you know, uh, the road lost traveled. Uh, And at the end of the two days, his the question he asked his class, and they would you know have to write this out: Is does Mary get in the car? So Jack, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? She does, but she does not go the entire ride. She gets out early. Ah, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, I think she buys into the dream. And then when they get below half a tank of gas, she just thinks, uh-oh, this isn't what I want. I don't know what I want, but it's not this. Interesting. She gets, out, she gets out and hitchhikes back. I, I like it. I like it a lot. That's that's a good answer. Thank you. Uh, very nice. Um, you know, I've had a lot of different answers. And one of the things that I love talking about is I did not connect uh, Thunder Road and Racing in the Street. But someone said, you know, um, in the racing in the street, there's a line. She sits on her daddy's porch yep. and he says, I wonder, I think that's the same porch that she danced across. Wow. And I said, if it isn't, it should be, <laughs> you <Wow>. know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. My wife and I have always thought, you know, we always hear that question. What is the greatest opening line of any album? And mm-hmm. we both agree it's screen door slams. Cause yeah. that just, it's, you just don't know what's going to happen from there. It's just everything's wide open after that. So I just had a guy on the podcast. I haven't released it yet. We recorded on Sunday night and he's a huge guns of roses fan. Okay. Um, 
does a Guns and Roses podcast. And um, so we, we spent over an hour talking about Guns and Roses and he shared that story. And so normally I, I had, um, with you, I'd forgotten, but normally when I send an agenda out, I, I put Mary question, I go, get the song Thunder Road, listen, you know, read the lyrics, listen to the song. I'm going to ask you, does Mary get in the car? Right. So this guy um, said, I had never heard this song before. Oh. He said, and oh my goodness, I now, I want to go explore more music from Bruce Springsteen. Sure. He said, you know, I've heard, you know, uh, you know, Born in the USA and I've heard Dancing in the Dark. And he says, you know, I've heard the hits, but I've never heard this song. And now when I hear that song, I go, oh my goodness, this is, what am I missing? Yeah. So, um, and, you know, it's the, like we talked about a f- few minutes ago, when you list songs that mean a lot to you, um, it's hard if you're a Springsteen fan not to pick Thunder Road. Sure. Uh, it's just one of those songs. Yeah. Um, all right. This has been a blast. I am so glad you took time to visit with me. I, I hope you had fun. I did. Thank you so much for having me. No, um, Jack, I looked up your um, your Twitter handle is at Highland 27. Yep. So I, I know that you'd love to hear from people. Uh, sure. Let Jack know that you want him to come back and that you enjoyed the stories. Um, I hope you and your family remain safe. Thank you. Uh, you, you know, um, you'll we'll have to figure out the time zone when you're in Africa and you'll have to share me stories of adventure when I have you back on again. Depending on what, so we just moved the clocks back an hour last yeah. week. So Angola is currently five hours ahead of us. Typically they're either five or six hours ahead. So, okay. So that's, that's not bad. Australia, no. Australia is my toughest. Yeah. That yeah, yeah is I would the imagine. toughest when I, when I have someone from Australia need to visit, we really do like England works fine. Yep. Right. Like, like, you know, I, I do an early, like we're talking Saturday morning. That's usually their afternoon. So that works out really well. But Australia is my toughest one that I've had to work with with people. Time zones. Yeah. I'd imagine. Zones. Yeah. All right. Listeners, you please stay safe. Remember to social distance, remember to wash your hands, remember to wear a mask, and let's all be good to each other during these difficult times, because that's the only way we're going to get through it. For now, thank you, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review.
The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. Said Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.